welcome. It's welcome to Indisputable. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda, a lot to talk about. Breaking down news of the day. My contributor today is Mayor W. Mondale Robinson, a returning contributor. He is the mayor of Enfield, North Carolina, a remarkable progressive leader and also founder of Black Male Voter Project, as well as Rebel HQ Superstar. Top story of the day, former President Donald Trump and former Governor Chris Christie exchange, well, let's just say taunts. Um, I'm from Glenwood Road, we would call this joning. Name calling, going back and forth, it was quite spectacular. Let's put up the picture full mass here. Because I really believe this picture captures an interesting moment. They don't like each other. They never did. They always were frenemies. The former President Donald Trump and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie sparred online Sunday after Chris Christie predicted Trump could not beat President Biden if they ran against each other in the 2024 presidential election. Now let's keep the picture up. First of all, that prediction is not outside of the norm. Uh, as a matter of fact, pretty much every poll shows the only person that Biden can beat is Donald Trump. Here's the irony of it. Donald Trump, Joe Biden matchup creates a Joe Biden victory. If you replace Donald Trump, with, I don't know, Governor Ron DeSatan of California, he wins in many of those polls. If you eliminate both of those individuals and just say, hey, your choice is either Joe Biden or another candidate on the Republican side, not DeSantis and not Trump, guess who wins? The mysterious no name Republican wins every time. This is problematic, obviously, for the Democratic Party. Now, Donald Trump got in his feelings. Now, remember, Chris Christie is simply echoing. He's simply echoing what all of these polls have already said. Polls are not predictions, but they are snapshots of how people think currently. So let's get into the nitty gritty. Christie, who endorsed Donald Trump in 2016 after dropping his own campaign, dropping from the presidential campaign, has since become a vocal Trump critic. Well, look at that. They grow backbones when a certain person is not in power. May the 2024 forecast Sunday on ABC News, where he is now a paid contributor. Donald Trump fired back on Truth Social. Now, let me say this Donald Trump did not fire back because Chris Christie said he will likely lose. As a matter of fact, Christie is not the only Republican saying it. But he is the only Republican who has said he may run for president of the United States. The strategy is the same. Donald Trump has always tried to isolate individuals who pose an actual threat. He did this the first time he ran for president, he's doing it now. He did it to Mark, uh, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, and many others. Even did it to Ben Carson. And he knew good and damn well white Republicans were not going to elect Ben Carson. But because Ben Carson, started trending at, I don't know, 7%. He started to go after Ben Carson. This is his playbook. He has no new tricks. So Trump fired back on Truth Social. 
He called the man Sloppy Christie. Sloppy Chris Christie, he says, the failed former governor of New Jersey, spent almost his entire last year in office campaigning in New Hampshire for the Republican nomination for president. Much like his term in office, where he left with an approval rating of just 9%, his presidential campaign was a complete disaster, Trump wrote. Now, naturally, Trump is lying when the truth will do. I'm not defending Chris Christie, but the man did not have a 9% exit poll based on the latest information when he left office. It was 14%. That is still historically low. Donald Trump lies when the truth will do. Once again, there's more. He goes on to say, he endorsed me, Trump says. He endorsed me the following day. Later recommended Chris Ray for the FBI. How did that work out? Question mark. Went down in flames and then was salvaged by ABC fake news. I never wanted him full stop. Let me just stop right here. Okay, I'm gonna come back to the graphic in a minute. What does Trump sound like? The man sounds like a jaded lover. The man literally says, I never wanted him. He goes on to talk about how he came after Trump. And I never really wanted him. So now, all of a sudden, there's trouble in paradise. Why? Because Chris Christie says something on ABC News? No, because he believes Chris Christie is a credible threat to his presidential campaign. There's more. The former president said his former transition team chief, of his former transition team chief, Christie responded later Sunday afternoon on Twitter calling Trump's truth social post a new tantrum and dismissing the attack. So here's the response from Christie, all right? Christie says, I'm the target of Donald Trump's new tantrum. None of his lies about me today bothered him when he asked me to prep him for every general election debate or offered me three different cabinet positions. And by the way, I would love to know what all of those were. Christie wrote on Twitter, the former governor noted that Trump, and I quote, is the only man to lose to Biden outside Delaware. And added that the, uh, and I quote, lost to Joe still stings. Let games begin, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I predicted about two years ago with some change that there will be a great implosion of the Republican Party because they cannot sustain a powerless. Donald Trump. The point was Trump had to be out of power for this to work. It is working now. But I want you to remember all of the individuals who all of a sudden have common sense like you and I, saying the things that we've been saying for a very long time, they lack backbone and integrity because they knew these things about Donald Trump when he was running for president. They knew these things about him when he was running for reelection. They still supported him. They did not criticize him. They did not turn their backs on Trump, they turn their backs on you. So remember who they are when they seek your support in the upcoming presidential cycle. Mr. Mayor, thoughts here. Listen, uh, you know that you are a Republican threat to Trump when you get a nickname. Right. right. <laughs> I think Chris Christie puts you in Trump's uh, views. Whenever Trump starts targeting people, yep. one, there'll be a bunch of projection. He is himself uh, ridiculous and a failed candidate. 
twice impeached. I think he sits in that space by himself. That's right. And I think this idea that you didn't want this person at all, but you offered him three positions, important positions, right? Homeland Security, Veterans Affairs, uh, an, uh, White House advisor, and then you also asked, offered him to be the ambassador to Italy. So wow. we, knew, we knew that Trump wanted Chris Christie. Actually, that ain't even it. He also used Chris Christie as a debate coach for his entire presidential campaign. So he wanted the bona fides that Chris could offer him because of Chris Christie's slick mouth uh, as, a, as a politician. And Trump, Trump could do slick, but it's, it's usually senseless because he has no he has no history of politics in this country or anything for that matter, other than racism and dirty business tactics. So what we, what we see right now is a 2016 replay. I think this benefit Trump's in one way. The field is growing because we hear more nicknames from Trump and Trump will have a base that solidified while these other people split the moderate Republicans, making him the candidate for Republicans. This is a problem for Democrats, but I don't think any Republican as they continue to grow this field can come out of there, out of the Republican primary, but Trump. And that for, that for all progressives is a good thing. Our best bet is we hope that uh, Joe Biden retires after this one election and don't try to run again because we he washed up as well. Um, and there's some truth to the fact that Trump is the only man that lost to Biden outside of Delaware because Biden's been running for president, we know, for 30 plus years. Right. He lost every time except for against Trump. So there's some, there's some truth to Christie's statement as well. But I will say this, though. We do see this nastiness in the Republican Party where there are no true friends, right? But we see people latching themselves on the Trump at the height of Trumpism and then running from him right now when he lacks the power. They saw Joe Biden beat Trump and they thought, okay, this is a weakness we can exploit. And this is why you see Christie feeling comfortable on ABC Sunday News, where he's been for three or four years and he's never said this. Yep. But we now see him telling the truth about what it is. We've been seeing this. So you, I mean, you can't lie to our CNIs, but what you do know is you're being an opportunist because you yourself are contemplating running for presidency. Mr. Mayor, such a great observation and you're right. He has been on TV for years and never said anything that directly critical of Trump. He always provided nuance and context for Trump, but that was a direct criticism. All right, that's what happened. One of the biggest gang busts in the history of the United States, one of them. Did you hear about it? No, wonder why, put up his picture full of mass here. Federal government told us about it on Friday. His name is Christopher Lamar Baker, Mr. Baker, is the leader of a gang called the Pagans Motorcycle Club. That's what the gang is called. It should just be called a gang, all right? Uh, show all of the uh, weapons they found. And they also found a whole lot of meth, many other things. And he was involved in money laundering. I mean, this guy ran the gamut. You didn't hear about it. The Raleigh-based national leader of the Pagans Motorcycle Club. Once again, it's a gang, not a motorcycle club, a gang. Recognized by law enforcement as an outlaw motorcycle gang, will spend the rest of his life behind bars. Christopher Lamar Baker, 49 years of age, was sentenced to 75 years in prison on Friday for a total of 17 charges. Those charges range from drug trafficking and firearm charges to money laundering. During the sentencing announcement, 
Michael Easley, the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of North Carolina, called Baker a prolific meth trafficker. Court evidence showed Baker supplied over 268 kilograms of meth into Raleigh area and surrounding states in the East Coast. The ATF and Raleigh police showed some of the 46 confiscated firearms. These are not all of them. Along with photos of Pagan's Club jackets, drug signs, inciting violence and showing swastikas. A white supremacist gang. There's more. He's been stripped of his patches, stripped of his colors, stripped of his motorcycle, said Easley, who is the prosecutor. Let me pause on this. Um, prosecutor. When you say things like this about uh, gang members, when you say he's been stripped of his patches, you give those patches power. I've never heard you say a crip was stripped of his scarf. The reason you don't say that, Mr. Prosecutor, is you do not believe those bandanas have power. Okay? But when you say patches have been stripped, like somebody has been uh, told to give me your badge. See, that badge actually has power. Those patches do not. When you arrest the cop, do you say he's been stripped of his badge? I got more. He's been stripped of his patches, stripped of his colors, stripped of his motorcycle, said easily during the press conference. He will never again feel the freedom of the open road that, that millions of law abiding bikers feel every day. Easily said Baker is one of 20 defendants in this operation, including a dozen pagan members and to drug suppliers. Now, you may say, well, goodness, I haven't heard of this story. Why have I missed it? Maybe it was a small operation. Maybe a lot of undercover cops here. One department working with the DOJ, that would make sense. Put it up. Let me show you how many law enforcement agencies were involved. And most of them released their own press release that did not get picked up by many members of media. Assistant US attorneys, Kelly L. Sanding and Robert Dotson prosecuted the case. Other agencies involved include North Carolina Highway Patrol, the Virginia State Police, the DeKalb County, Georgia Police, the Borough County Sheriff's Office, Georgia, the Georgia State Patrol, the Gwinnett County Police Department, Georgia, the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, North Carolina, South Carolina Highway Patrol, the Craven County Sheriff's Department, the Lexington, Lexington County Sheriff's Department, and the Reedsville Police Department, North Carolina. All of them were involved with the federal government to bring down this major gang. And you barely heard a peep. Guarantee you, if the person in charge would have been a member of the Piru Bloods, you would have heard about it. But ladies and gentlemen, it's not even a motorcycle club. It is a white supremacist gang, is what they are. Their literature, their particular brand of philosophy, as well as their symbols speak to the nature of their organization. However, you will not find one report that talks about their white supremacist ideology. All right, food for thought. 
Mr. Mayor, thoughts here. Listen, this is where we have to be critical of what our national media is saying. First of all, it does not fit the narrative that these drugs are being smuggled by people whose last name is Gonzalez or Ramirez or Richie or Robinson. When you put up the truth of the matter that one of the largest, one of the largest drug busts, we are in the we are in the sentencing phase. We're done with the sentencing phase, and we've not heard anything about it. When we hear people in Chicago being arrested for two and three crack uh, pieces of crack. This is this is a, a this, this is a discrepancy that the national media has to come and reckon with. The fact the fact that you can exclude and ignore this, and you said something that is extremely powerful that people should not braze over. The idea that you when when they say he's been stripped of his badges and his patches, you're actually saying that the gang is against this behavior. Mm. No, they didn't strip him of his patches. <laughs> he's gonna go. He's gonna go in prison and be secure because of those patches. Those patches won't give him power out here, but inside he'll be protected by that same patch. So implying that those patches don't mean nothing, or they were taken from him because he's arrested, is a falsehood. It is a big falsehood, and like you said, it gives power and it also gives legitimacy to this gang. To this gang, it's saying that this gang is deterred or bothered by this behavior. When in actuality, this is what they are known for. So I think this is a this is an absolute critique, one of the media for sure, but also America public in general and how they see who is responsible for the drug problem in this country. Very well said, Mr. Mayor. All right, finally, let's put up the pictures here. You have a departmentally charged individual who has been fired. The Memphis PD has fired. Preston Hemfield following the brutal beating and death of Tyree Nichols. Now remember, we've reported on this since day one. We posed the question, why did they try to hide this particular officer? There's a lot of background here. Hemfield, who's obviously a white officer, was present during the initial traffic stop on January 7th, where Nichols was pulled out of his car, pushed to the ground, shot with a stun gun and beaten brutally to death. Hemfield, who had been suspended last month, and by the way, they suspended him secretly, we were not aware, was departmentally charged and terminated. Finally, Friday, the department said, adding that an investigation into other police officers was ongoing. The department declined to comment further on Saturday. Now remember, someone from Memphis, who works for the Memphis city government told me directly that 12 officers, roughly 12, were actually at the scene. They were down with the program. They knew what was going to happen, they knew what was happening. Right now we know of seven. Enfield is six, but there are seven that we are aware of. They, they are still saying more will be investigated. I think cops who had no presence at that scene were involved in cover-up as well. I think they may have been contacted prior to the engagement with the parent, where these cops lied to the parents about what happened to their son. I think those officers are under investigation as well. Just my hunch. There's more. Uh, so Hinfield gets suspended, all right? Uh, the department declined to comment further about this particular investigation. An investigation showed that Officer Hinfield had and I quote, violated multiple departmental policies, including personal conduct, truthfulness, 
and compliance with regulations on using stun guns, the department said in a statement Friday evening. Can I remind everyone that what they are describing is likely a a lie or multiple lies on an official document. Well, that's illegal. Uh, impeding an official police investigation, that's obstruction of justice. And both of those charges also warrant the charge of violation for oath of office, that is a felony. Why has he not been charged with these elements, at least transparently? We are not aware. There's more, the Shelby County, Tennessee. The District Attorney's Office has also been considering charges for Hemfield, according to a statement post to his Facebook account, considering, okay, considering charges. Uh, Hemfield wore the body camera that provided video of the first police confrontation with Nichols. In the video, Hemfield can be seen using a taser on Mr. Nichols. Later, a voice on the body cam that seems to be Hemfield's says, and I quote, I hope they stump his ass. Speaking of no charges that we are aware of. After Nichols escaped, Nichols was then chased down near his home by other police officers and brutally beaten. Once again, DA says, hey, we're considering charges. The police have done a move called departmentally charge. Uh, that's BS. Let's go ahead and get this jury set up, get the grand jury set up, do a real indictment, make sure it sticks, no issues with constitutionality, etc. Put up the five cops who were presented to us as the only ones who did this in the beginning. These cowardly SOBs were already relieved of duty. They now have charges, including murder, and they should. Justin Smith, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., Demetrius Haley, and Tadarius Bean. Horrible people, horrible individuals. But please keep in mind, Aiding and abetting is also a chargeable offense. As a matter of fact, it is not uncommon. It's the routine thing to do when you are involved in such a heinous crime. The other officers have not been charged with those crimes as anyone else would have who helped kill a human being. There's more. Um, however, his suspension has caused criticism. Let's put up a dear brother. Benjamin Crump. Benjamin Crump made it clear in the beginning of this that there's a problem. He's representing the family. He previously questioned why it took so long for Officer Hemfield's identity to be made public. He tweeted, and I quote, why was the white officer involved in the brutal attack of Tyree Nichols shielded and protected? Let's put up the chief of police. Memphis police chief, they call it CJ. CJ Davis said at the same time, the five were directly responsible for the physical abuse against Nichols. That quote made it seem as if, remember this was prior to the video evidence. That quote made it seem as if those five officers were the only killers of Mr. Tyree Nichols. We know that not, we know that's not the case now. Put up the picture of the others who failed in their duty according to their own agency. This happened on Friday. A state medical director board has now suspended the license of two former Memphis Fire Department employees who waited damn near 20 minutes to treat Mr. Nichols. Those medical licenses belong to EMTs Robert Long and Jermichael Sandridge, 
Michelle Whitaker, the third person terminated over the Nichols case, did not have her license suspended. I don't know why I would like to have information as to why her license remains intact. But I want you to keep that picture up. I'm going to make a point again. Let's put that picture back up. You have a young white male, you have a young black male, and you have a black female who may be a little bit senior to them. The reason why I bring this up is because all of them obviously operated from the same culture page, not the same culture. This is important to note. They all violated policy according to their employers. They all violated policy. And they violated policy that led to the death of a human being. They did not plan this, they did not coordinate. They do not share a cultural connection, age, race, or gender outside of the culture of their profession. So in the culture of their profession, they believed this was okay. What does that mean? That means you have a cultural problem, not a policy problem. Culture eats policy alive every day of the week. Mr. Mayor, you know a whole lot about city government as a mayor. You know a whole lot about culture as a mayor. Talk to us about this scenario. I, I am so glad you ended with the cultural point and the, and the cultural page point and making that distinction because people need to understand if you have a racist police chief and they could be whatever color you want to, uh, that's not a police department problem. That's actually a mayoral problem in most cities where the mayor hires the police mm-hmm. chief. This is this, so this means this in, this incriminates more than just the people whose pictures we've seen, people who've been let go. This actually implements all 18,000 police departments across this country because we know the culture is. Regardless what the policy says, the culture is black men specifically are sport. Killing black men is sport in this country, and less one less than one percent of officers who's acted that way have been charged criminally and convicted. So we know that these people weren't doing anything out of bounds as it pertains to how America police black men. The idea that you can kill black men or beat this man to death steps away from his home seems like par for the course for these people. If you look at their track record, even though the Memphis Department is trying to coded and covered up. All of them had multiple complaints uh, from, from citizens about their act, interactions with these officers. And people are trying to say that in, those complaints went down as a recent, that's because the murder rate has went up. You've probably been killing people that have been complaining about police, not mm. just in Memphis, but all over this country. So I think when we consider, consider now that police departments were birthed out of slave patrols, and it started in my home state in North Carolina, the first slave patrol became a police department. And, and then you move on to when they were lynching black people, mostly black men, between 1869 and then the, the mid 19th century or 20th century, we saw about 3,500 black people killed, right? That's, a, that's about 41 people per year. But if you look at the rate that black people are killed by cops, you're talking about 271 people per year between 2017 and 2022. So the lynching of black people is culture in this country, regardless of the race, because we know it's acceptable and America has a high tolerance for black suffering as we see in everyday policing policy. I should say culture in this country. Very well said, Mr. Mayor. And I'm glad you brought up the point about policing and the origin of it. I do believe agencies can change. Let me tell you why I believe agencies can change because they come down to systems and people. Systems and people can change, but you must understand the origin of a thing to understand the nature of a thing. You cannot dismiss the origin of policing being connected to slavery. You cannot 
cannot dismiss that because if you do, you would never deal with its true nature. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We still have a lot of show left. Let me read some of these comments. Um, Soul Life, gifted five indisputable subs. Thank you so much for that, YouTube members. Um, joining now because of that, big up Soul Life, really appreciate you. Uh, Gabby Mathis, gifted five indisputable with Dr. Sharp with your memberships as well, thank you. And Kitaboot Forever, member from seven months, Antica member, boom, there it is. Kitaboot Forever says, I'm in North Carolina. I have not heard a peep about this. Isn't that something? Talking about the biker club, white supremacist gang. Um, Lending Hands Universal, welcome to Indisputable, thank you. Nola Lady, welcome to Indisputable, double doser. We appreciate your support. Uh, Phyllis Masters, member for one month, thank you. Says, thank you for bringing me truth, even though it's often also tragedy. Be anti-racist, y'all. There it is, real simple, it's not complex whatsoever. All right, and um, Lynn says, I'm thinking Baker will continue his business in prison. He will. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on him for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You feel free! Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Hey, Logan. Uh, young. What do you mean by bro? This is an English class. Uh, I like to stick. You were talking about Socratic seminars earlier. Like I like talking discussion. Like I don't know. I'm just. Am I your bro, Logan? Bro. I don't know. Logan, am I your bro? No. No, I am not. I am your professor. I don't know when I'm. You. You got a problem, Logan? You got a serious problem? You up, Logan. <sighs> Has anybody ever heard the term natural law language? Okay. Um, I'm a college professor also. I'm actually a dean. Uh, this was hella funny, all right. So no, the professor, if this is real and not a parody, we cannot confirm at the moment, is so extreme that you really have to question, is it legit? But I'm going to let you make that decision. Um, here's why it was comical. Now, no, a professor should never talk to a student that way. I understand you know, some professors get bent out of shape about, what people call them uh, or the vernacular they use. Uh, I'm not one of those professors, all right? Uh, when I first became a college professor in 2016, I remember uh, on the campus, I was brand new as a professor and I was telling people they can call me Rashad. And the dean brought me into class, brought me in his office, excuse me, after class and he said, listen, you are either Professor Rich or Dr. Rich on this campus, right? Uh, so I understand that, there's a protocol. And I understand what a professor would like to correct the protocol appropriately, uh, but that was not. If it's real, but here's what made it funny, boom. He definitely channeled the energy. This was some A.A. Ron type stuff right here. 
Key and Peele's sketch come to life. Logan is the A.A. Ron to this professor's Mr. Garvey. Now that's the lesson that we all should learn. All right, Mayor, what are your thoughts on this, dear brother? He said, say your name. It's, it's <laughs> A.A. Ron, no, it's Aaron, it's A.A. Ron. Listen, this is, this is unbelievable to me, but what's really telling to me is there's an underlying disdain for blackness, right? Let's let let me break this down to people because mm. people might say I'm reaching. Um, there's this thing called African American vernacular English. It is a real language. Bruh happens to be a word from that language. This yep. is a class where you can get a master's in UNC, which is one of the number one uh, division one schools in this country, teaching people what African American vernacular English is. So for folk that don't understand the importance of English and language, language is one of the largest part of culture if you couple it with food. So I mean the idea that he's ranting and at the end of the video, if you pay attention, he goes into this ideal about what natural language or natural English is. This doesn't matter to me as a black man, English itself is a pidgin language. So mm -hmm. the, the fact that you're saying that what bruh is not a real word for someone informally that you consider a, a counterpart. Okay, you could be upset that this student is considering you his counterpart because you're his professor, but the idea to say that this, this is not English, this is not a derivative language, is, is absolutely disrespecting and also demeaning to everyone who is black and speak African-American vernacular. I think this professor uh, needs some time to, to, like you said, reconsider what, yeah. he, what his job is. You know, you make such a great point and I'm going to piggyback on that point because in a serious discussion, naturally we understand the context of language. Language is meant to communicate, it's meant to communicate ideas, right? So why is there this heavy concentration of slang as uh, the English vernacular would categorize it inside of urban communities. Well, that's because we had to figure out ways to talk to each other, to talk to each other without everyone knowing what we were talking about. And we created subsets of our own what's called social normality in language. And we have socialized that over the years, which is perfectly acceptable. It's part of a language that is not fixed and English is not a fixed language, it's an evolving language. All right, we have more really interesting stuff, all right? I be damned, one of principals and school teachers going to get it. A principal decided to do this to a child, put it up. Doesn't look as if this should be done by a principal of a school. I'm going to give you the background to a video that has been circulating on social media. Let's keep that picture up. School principal placed his own student in a headlock, injured this student. I will get into those injuries. There's a video circulating on social media that appears to show the principal at Anson High School putting a student in a headlock, chokehold, and then um, decided to double down on it, or at least the powers that be are supporting him. And now the Wageboro Police Department tell, uh, tells uh, Channel 9, uh, they are looking into the incident. Initially, they were not. Uh, the fight happened, there was a fight, all right? Students, they were fighting, it happened Tuesday. It started between two students. Now I want you to follow the narrative here. One of the students told Channel 9, and I quote, uh, that's when he got me in the chokehold until I couldn't talk. <clears throat> 
and I couldn't breathe oxygen. My oxygen feels like it was going out and everything started going black on me, said Aquarius Ratliff, the student who was placed in the hold. He was moving his grip, he was getting tighter. That's when my cousin ran up and yelled, let him go. There's more, Ratliff, a 10th grader at the school, said it was taken to the police station. He then went to the hospital after his grandmother picked him up. He admits that he was in the wrong by fighting, but he and his family say the principal was also in the wrong. You don't do a student like that. You don't do no student like that, said Pauline, that's the grandmother. Pauline says her grandson had a slipped disc in his neck. That can last basically forever. Videos circulating on social media appear to show the principal at the high school putting a student in the headlock choco. And now the Wagesboro Police Department tells Channel 9 is looking into the incident. The fight happened Tuesday and started between two students. One of the students told Channel 9. You can see in the video that punches are thrown between the two students and a crowd of students around them yelling. During the fight, the principal, Chris Stinson, is seen getting in the middle of the two students and trying to break it up. If you look at how the investigation started, principal, this is what, this is amazing. This is what the school said. The family also says there wasn't enough communication from the school. Now remember, this is a major incident, right? You have a school principal laying physical hands on a student. Obviously, you have to tell the parents. But the family also says there was not enough communication from the school with one family member saying she had to find out about the incident from a friend who saw it online, online. She was like, have you been on Facebook? I said, no ma'am. And she said, well, Principal Stinson just choked your nephew plum out, said Doris Willoughby. That is the aunt of the young man in question. Pauline and Doris told Channel 9, they went to the school on Wednesday to try and get answers, but were unsuccessful. We reached out to Anson County Schools for information Wednesday morning. The district sent the following statement just after 6 p.m. You won't believe this damn statement. They say in their official statement, Principal Chris Stinson was very near to the students and immediately tried to break up the fight. He used what appeared to be a reasonable, to be reasonable force to try to separate the two students and was struck in the jaw while doing so. Principal Stinson pulled the student who initiated the fight away from the other student while the student was still resisting as if he was under arrest. Mr. Stinson appeared to be under control throughout the situation and is specifically authorized by the law to use reasonable force to control behavior or to remove a person from the scene and situations when it is necessary to quell a disturbance threatening injury to others for self-defense, for the protection of people or property or to maintain order on educational property. School employees are expected to act. What kind of school district is this? I wanna remind everyone, when we have seen 
white teachers, white principals abuse children. When we have seen them fight them in hallways, say the N word, completely lose their ish while being recorded. Has a district ever come out like this? No, they will say things like it is under investigation. We are sad to see this is an ongoing thing, blah, blah, blah. But here they have concluded without an investigation, all of the facts. We don't know why the fight happened. We don't know if the young man was possibly defending himself. We don't know. But that kind of response should tell everyone all you need to know about that school district. They're not student advocates, they're advocates for the principal. There's more. The school investigation is ongoing. Did you see that? You hear this joke, right? After they concluded what happened, they then say, the school investigation is ongoing. As the investigation by the Waysboro Police Department. Mr. Stinson, this is what they added after they said he's under investigation. Mr. Stinson is a highly respected and valued school administrator who acted quickly to break up a fight and to prevent further injury to a student who had been attacked. School investigation is ongoing. Obviously, it is not ongoing. It has been concluded. Dear brother, what are your thoughts here? Listen, this is um this is first of all, North Carolina on the show twice for two ridiculous reasons, but it's also common in that state, right? Where we see this this blatant disregard for life um and how we how we give black people second class citizens. First of all, the chokehold that this principal is using is barred it's illegal for police officers to use against suspects in crimes. So how is it reasonable for a student to suffer at the hands of a principal in this manner? Keep in mind, this statement sound like it came from the New York Police Department after Eric Garner's death. Who wrote this statement? We're talking about somebody's child being choked out and now has a slip disc because of this. And if the result of two children fighting is they end up in a police station, then this, this principal should end up in a police station as well, because he was definitely fighting that child as he joked, choked him out and dragged him across the room. Just from the picture we saw on your show, Dr. Richie, that was absolutely disgusting tactics. When and where are you in danger when you're behind someone dragging them by their neck? That is yeah. not reasonable. That is not reasonable, but for when you are white and you're dragging a black child. This is not acceptable and we have to, we have to question everyone in the school district that approved this to be the statement that they're gonna put out. How are you investigating and the person you're investigating, you're talking about how high they are held within this community. How are you saying this person acted reasonably and you're investigating them? Yeah. This, this is, these are two different actions. You've concluded as you said, and you're also investigating. Investigating seems like you're really trying to figure out a reason to smooth this over so as to keep this white man's job. That's it, dear brother. Uh, this is not an investigation. I'm sure they have a connection with the police department as many communities do locally. And they have sent a very clear message to the police department and anybody else who would like to thoughtfully investigate this, that they will be anti that investigation. All right, that's what they've done with this release. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back, tragedy. And 
elderly woman who gets scammed out of money, a lot of money, calls the police and the police scam her out of more money. It's a damn shame. All right, let's get into the details of this. Put up the precinct full mass here. You're looking at Australia. Yep, it happened in Australia. In Australia, a New South Wales police detective who was meant to help catch the criminals who stole $30,000 from an elderly woman. Instead, this cop tried to rob her himself. Let me give you background. Sonia, who's 74, who asked for only her first name to be used as she feared being targeted again, was robbed by fraudsters pretending to be National Broadband Network workers in May of 2021. They convinced her to transfer $30,000 to them before she then reported the incident to her local police after realizing she was the victim of a crime, okay? Then in June 2021, the detective who cannot be named went to Sonia's home several times to get details of what happened, often wearing his full police uniform. To gain her sympathy, he said he had a brain aneurysm and had not yet told his girlfriend or his job. According to police documents tendered to the court, she trusted him and he told her she, and I quote, reminded him of his own grandmother. This is the setup, right? The Daily Telegraph reported when he posed a question, when he asked to see her online banking details, right? Because he's the detective, right? Credit cards, passwords, etc. Ms. Sonia gave them to him, assuming they were needed for his investigation. He told Ms. Sonia his girlfriend was calling him and she left the room to give him privacy. However, he did not have a call. And the officer stole Sonia's banking details while she was in another room. The court heard. He waited a few days before trying to use them, then went on an online shopping spree. The detective tried to buy close to $20,000 worth of items from JB, Hi-Fi, Big W, My, and Meyer, including iPhones, GoPro cameras, Apple Watches. But none of the attempted purchases, which took place on July 2nd and 3rd, went through as they were all rejected as suspicious. This is a company dynamic. They say, well, she doesn't usually buy these things, so the algorithm kicked in. When uh, he was arrested, all right, this was August 24th. Look at the timeline. The detective was charged with 57 separate offenses, which were reduced to six he pleaded guilty to. In court this week, the now former detective pleaded guilty to stealing Miss Sonia's money. All right, admitted to the bank he did it. He has also pleaded guilty to illegally looking up details on eternal police system and using his ex-girlfriend's identity to try to get $140,000 worth of loans in her name. Let's put up the uh, commissioner here. This is the New South Wales commissioner, Karen Webb, oversaw the department who quickly arrested the detective after the victim reported this misconduct. Now, let me say this, uh, this was speedy. This was a speedy arrest. Uh, it's very sad that this individual 
operated in this fashion. And I got to say this, uh, if I were Miss Sonia, I would be concerned as well. I mean, what did the cop plan to do to her after he spent her money? That would be a question for me. I'm glad this uh, criminal is off the street. All right, Mr. Mayor, thoughts here. Listen, real quick, Doc. I just want to know who else and how many other people have been victim to this detective? Yep. How many people heard this aneurysm and you remind me of my grandmother's story and he's got away with it? This is this seems too comfortable for me for this to be his first time. I, I hope you're investigating in that and trying to figure it out. But this is also what happens when cops have this, this unweathered or untethered uh, right to do and act as they please. He showed up in full uniform, full regalia to yep. steal, to rob. It's his action, his weapon was his uniform. And this happens so often and we just we blow over it like it ain't the norm. Yeah, well said, and you're right. Uh, they have to investigate to see if he has other victims. Uh, because this is exactly how they would investigate another con artist without a uniform to see if they have other victims. All right, we have an indisputable exclusive. According to a couple, a man sexually harassed a woman and nothing happened because he is a police officer. We have the full story at indisputable. Let me first take you to this video. Here it is. Now I'm recording it. Tell me what he's being arrested for right now. So you let you let you, Officer Mustafa, you let a guy grope my vagina while they kicked him out of the pool. You let a guy, you let another guy attack him. I knew he was racist from the beginning. That's what I told you. I told you exactly what was gonna happen before you came. You're not gonna you're not gonna touch me. I'm not resisting. I'm not resisting. They're stripping me. What am I being arrested for? Help! My baby's not resisting. I'm right here. I'm walking with my head. What am I even being arrested for? My baby's not resisting. My baby's not resisting. She's not resisting. I'm not resisting. We're not resisting. We're not resisting, baby. Hey, we're right here. No, we're right here, baby. Hey, I love you. We're not resisting. Ouch! He's breaking. We're going to jail. Oh my God! Baby, baby, come on. This is a tragedy. Put up the picture of the couple. According to the couple, the woman was sexually assaulted at an establishment. She reports the assault to the management, front desk, clerk, etc. They inform her, somebody informs her, well, the person who did that to you is a police officer. They kicked him out. They still push the issue. Something needs to be done. We need a police report. Police arrive and who do they lock up? They lock up the couple who claimed a crime happened against them. A couple on a short vacation in Galveston, Texas, say a guest sexually assaulted the wife. Then they were further brutalized by hotel staff and police when they complained. Now, you're looking at Ify Green Jimenez and Ricky. They were both arrested on March 28th, 2021 at the San Luis Resort in Galveston, Texas. Ricky and his soon to be wife visited the resort on the evening of March 27th. They checked in before midnight. After getting unpacked, went downstairs to the pool for dinner. All of this is very normal stuff. If he told Indisputable directly, and I quote, that used to be my favorite place. 
I used to go there for work. And I still just fell in love with it. So I would go a few times a year. And that was my husband and I's first time going there on a date. Let's look at the resort. Beautiful, all right? It's a beautiful place. It's a very nice, you know, place to vacation. A guest at a poolside cabana, who Green Jimenez says the bartender late identified as a police officer, offered the young couple extra shots as he purchased. Next, the couple went swimming, all right? Excerpts of a Galveston Police Department report says that Ify had four drinks and a shot offered to her at the bar. That's the excerpt from the report. Ify, however, disputes the report. We have a lot more information. She says, and I quote to Indisputable Investigates, no, we did not have that much to drink. The guy told my husband their friends didn't come down to the pool and they had extra drinks and they gave my husband and I each one drink. And we couldn't be drinking all day because of work. We had the kids that day and then drove from Houston to Galveston. We had just arrived, is her quote. In the pool, if he says the man who offered the couple drinks swam up behind her and grabbed her private parts. When if he screamed out of shock, she says the hotel staff ejected the attacker. The hotel manager then offered to comp their food, their drinks, their expenses. That's what you do. You've been harassed at a, at a hotel. But if he demanded the police, she wanted to make a report. She says hotel security led by Gavison chief deputy, let's put him up, uh, Constable um, Hassan Mustafa ordered the couple to their room, ordered them to the room. Contrary to what the Jimenez say, uh, says in the Gavison Police Depart uh, uh, Department report, Constable Mustafa told police the bartender could not identify the man who sexually assaulted Ify. Now that's contrary to what was told to Ify. But the report includes a detailed description. Let's, it's a white male, six foot tall, 120 to 160 pounds, blue or green swim trunks, unidentifiable tattoos. The couple also says the police did not talk to a woman who was the attacker. When they resisted leaving the area saying they had every right to be there, they were arrested. During her arrest, if he says her arms were bruised, she fell unconscious in police custody because she was in such shock and disbelief she was being arrested after being assaulted. Later, she was admitted to the hospital. Let's put up the hospital records we have. Obviously, we redacted certain information for identity reasons. If he said her private parts were scratched, bruised, swollen, and bleeding. This was not just a simple attack. This was an attack based on the narrative of the victim. Her medical paperwork from a day after the incident reads, and I quote, diagnosis, sexual assault of an adult initial encounter. Initial encounter means stranger, that's what that means. Initial encounter, contusions of pelvic region, and a stress reaction. Neither Ify nor her husband were charged or prosecuted after their arrest. So what was that arrest about? 
Okay, there's more. A representative of the of the resort responded to Indisputable's request for a comment. Here's the response. The resort has reviewed the handling of this matter, including all of its policies and procedures, and is highly confident that all actions taken were appropriate. Moreover, the matter was referred to the Galveston Police Department. And we understand was fully investigated by the police without any further action being taken. We recommend that any individual questions or, or additional questions or further details be directed or obtained from the Galveston Police Department. Wow, no mention of how they protect their guests, no illumination of the facts, no corroboration, but they also did not deny that it happened. There's more. Uh, so they forwarded the complaint um, she sent to Constable James Fuller on March 29th, the day after the alleged assault. There it is. There's a strong paper trail with all of this. Because the statement was not signed, right? Because the statement was not signed, the, the uh, constable, the investigator, told Indisputable it was not investigated because she didn't sign it. It was not investigated as an official complaint against a deputy chief constable known as Mustafa. However, Constable Fullen said he did investigate the incident. I'm about to show you something. Green Jimenez says Galveston police gave her the runaround because she believes they did not want to investigate a fellow officer. She showed indisputable, ignored emails from the police. Put it up. We've attempted to go to therapy together, but we've had trouble. He feels bad because he feels like he should have protected me. And I feel bad because I feel like I could have done something to prevent it. Those are both narratives that neither one of them should feel. I barely leave the house because I just don't want to go places anymore. That's called depression. Gavison Police Department spokesperson Derek Gaspard said he could offer no comments at the moment but would release their police report. Who gives a damn about a lying ass police report? Let's put up the guy in charge. Once again, same cop we covered last week for something else. Since speaking with us, Ify Green Jimenez showed indisputable a signed complaint against Chief Deputy Hassan Mustafa that she sent to the Galveston Constable's office. Here is the police chief, Doug Bali. Doug was placed on leave last week for a separate incident that Indisputable reported. After his officers raided a teen's home in a murder investigation, prosecutors determined the police evidence was insufficient and released the teen. He was suspended for that operation. Okay, so we have now told you exactly what the narrative is from the individuals involved. We have reached out to every entity. We are awaiting a proper response from the police. Now, to the officers, I'm not letting the damn thing go. So understand this, this will not blow over with time. Mayor, thoughts here. I'm I'm baffled at the inconsistencies of what happened. The idea that the, the, the police, uh, the constable's first response was the, bar, the bartender couldn't identify the man. What about the staff that kicked him out of the pool? You, you kicked him out of the pool for a reason. 
Why can't you identify who you kicked out of the pool? This is absolutely disgusting. This is also absolutely least cover up uh, in its worst way. Uh, the idea that you lock these people up, you demand they go to their room, and then you don't charge them with anything. This is a scare tactic to say shut up uh, and don't even come back with this. Uh, I, I think what's disgusting though is what this man and his wife are going through at this moment. Her being depressed, not leaving the house, her having to deal with this for the rest of her life. And once again, we see black and brown people not protected by these institutions. Instead, they're victimized. And this level of victimization goes a step further to sexual assault in a public space. Yep. All right, we will continue to follow it. Seventy-year-old school teacher ends up arrested and naked because she simply wanted the money deposited into her account. Let's put the picture up for masses. Damn, Florida. Once again, seventy-year-old retired school teacher Linda Stevens was a Mid Florida Credit at Mid Florida Credit Union. She's a customer there. All right, she's been there for the past fifty years, but she alleges. That after confronting the bank about money missing from her account, she was accused of having a gun, was arrested, left inside of a hot patrol car, and thrown in jail. That's what they did to her, according to the narrative. Stevens and her attorneys, like being Crump, allege she was met with such hostility and disdain because of her race. The February 3rd lawsuit filed on her behalf accuses Mid Florida of blatant discrimination and flagrant indifference. On April 13th, 2021, Stevens, Miss Stevens, the 70 year old retired school teacher, deposited $600 in the ATM at the Bartow, Florida branch to pay her mortgage. Receipt in hand, receipt in hand. She returned home, but in the morning, she noticed the funds were not there. So Stevens went back for assistance, like any of us would do. A credit union employee told the retiree that he did not see her deposit and said the ATM was being worked on due to mechanical issues. That's your issue right there. The ATM was being worked on due to mechanical issues by a technician. The teller told Stevens to return in several hours, fill out a dispute form to resolve the discrepancy with her deposit. Ms. Stevens did as she was instructed and returned where she was told by another employee that the deposit has still not been posted. The employee accepted the dispute form and reassured her the funds would appear in her account within two to three hours. After waiting the rest of the day and the following morning, Stevens went back to the bank on April 14th after the funds did not show up in her account. When she arrived, the tellers told Stevens, Ms. Stevens, they were unable to help her or tell her the status of her $600 deposit. And she was shown to an office. In the office, Ms. Stevens explained to another employee what had transpired previously, the lawsuit alleges. Then the employee called the ATM technician who serviced the machine. The technician confirmed that he had found the missing $600. Ms. Stevens was distraught by then and vocally showed her concern. The branch manager came into the office and demanded that Ms. Stevens calm down as she pleaded with the employees for access to her funds. Instead, the branch manager gave her a 911 call. The police officer arrived and stood behind Ms. Stevens 
before another officer arrived with his hand on his firearm, stating somebody called 911 and claimed Ms. Stevens had a gun. That's what the police said, according to the report. Ms. Stevens was afraid for her life by this time and told the police officers that she just wanted access to her ATM deposit. That is it, that is all. She also told them she did not have a gun, but the officer placed her in handcuffs, left her inside of the police vehicle in a 90 degree heat cycle for 20 minutes. Once at the police station, Ms. Stevens, 70 year old retired school teacher who just wanted her 600 damn dollars, who had never been arrested for anything in her natural life, was dragged out of the police vehicle, thrown down on the ground and placed in a holding cell. She was later handcuffed, dragged across the floor by four male officers, thrown face first into a police vehicle and transported to the sheriff's department after they affixed the charges. Her nose was broken in the process. At the sheriff's department, Ms. Stevens was stripped nude before being transported to the jail. She spent 24 hours completely naked on the cement floor of a jail cell before being released. She had been charged with disorderly conduct, a charge prosecutors completely dropped. According to Ms. Stevens' claim, on April 16, 2021, a mid Florida regional manager contacted Ms. Stevens to apologize. She met Stevens at her home and apologized while noting the bank's mistake and the trauma suffered by Ms. Stevens. Manager also gave Ms. Stevens a voucher for a mortgage payment for $300, not $600. Stevens has been diagnosed with post traumatic stress disorder and is undergoing psychiatric therapy at the time. So, Ms. Stevens, I want to say this to you. I'm so sorry this happened to you. You got the right guy with you. Ben Crump is a friend of mine. He's going to do you right. Let this be an example to that bank and to anyone who devalues the lives of historically marginalized people because we got communities now. All right, Mr. Mayor, thoughts? 70 years old, likely someone's grandparent. Yeah. She wanted her money, her money. She was asking for her money that she had a receipt for and that they knew they were responsible for. Yeah, they knew. She did have a gun, Doc. It was her black skin. She was charged with disorderly conduct. Nothing was said about that she didn't have a gun. Who's investigating the idea that she had a gun? Where did that claim come from? Mm. We hear this so often as a reason to be aggressive with black people, usually younger black men, but someone's grandmother had her nose broke for investigating her money, her money, her mortgage. She's living on a fixed income as she's a retired teacher. This story is by far the most disgusting thing we talked about today. Yeah, I agree, $600. All right, Mr. Mayor, always a pleasure having you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. Yeah, I'm, I'm at Mundell Robinson on Twitter, and you can definitely find me on Rebel HQ where I'm producing four videos a week. We love it, brother. Thank you, man, for all you continue to do for the culture. Thank you, sir. All right, we got more on the other side. The bullpen is next, stick and stay. All right, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, he's back. Mr. John Burnett, managing director of One Empire Group and also a Republican strategist. Good day, Mr. Burnett, how are you? 
Oh, well, thanks. All right. Uh, we're going to chop it up about Governor Ron DeSatan and his new anti this, anti that policy as it relates to education. I don't want to presume what you know or believe about the banning of African American studies for AP or even the um, policy where teachers cannot bring in books. So give us your sentiment and I will then opine. Well, I think I think we need an honest about what actually occurred. Uh, it's not a ban, a ban on books. Uh, it's not a ban on African American history. It's a ban on certain ideology uh, disguised as history. And I think we need to be specific as we go into this discussion. And I look forward to a healthy, transparent, and honest discussion uh, on this topic. So, okay. Um. Are you familiar with House Bill 1467? Uh, I don't know it by that number, but I know the, the many of the details with regard to what led to the bill with regard to, again, the type of education uh, that's being pushed in our, not just Florida schools, but schools all over our country. All right, so let's get into the details. You said, said you wanted to have a detailed conversation. Um, you should know. So 1467, because that is the bill that does, in fact, ban teachers from bringing books into the classroom. If you're not aware that it actually creates an, a ban, you have not read the bill. Because the bill not only bans teachers from bringing uh, books to the classroom, it also provides a penalty if they do without it being processed through the bureaucracy they set up. The penalty is to charge the teacher with a third degree felony. If they bring a Winnie the Pooh book that has not been approved by the system they have affixed, the school teacher can get charged with a third degree felony. Is that appropriate? Well, I don't know if that's appropriate, but I do know. What you mean you don't know if that's appropriate, oh, brother? Have a backbone, man. Say something I, that actually makes sense to arrest the teacher. With a felony, that you can't say that's inappropriate. Uh, yeah, and that's probably going to way too far as far as felony. But I do well, that's believe that's what your governor signed, brother. The governor you support. I, I do believe in a in a, a an approval process, not just for history, but for all subjects. Uh, even where I teach, two institutions where I teach, there is an approval process or review process with regard to the materials. That are being sir, used. the two places you teach, sir. And, and the, sir, let me finish my point. All right, let we me, only have a few minutes, so I'm trying to make sure I correct the narrative so, that so, you're so setting. I want to be clear here that in terms of uh, black history that should be taught, we should be open and honest as to what occurred right here on American soil to black people. Okay. So that there is no argument there, but we also need to teach black history before the Mayflower with respect to, you know, the with regarding to Egypt and the Queens, Ethiopia. Most people probably don't even know that Ethiopia is the only country uh, that hasn't been colonized. All right, we, got two, we have two minutes so and so I have to offer so a rebuttal. That needs to be taught. All right, that's fine. I, I concur with that. I've said that for years. Uh, black history does not begin with slavery. Uh, that's noted on the record. Let's be very clear. 
Um, the governor signed a bill. Uh, it was House Bill 1467 that says it will be a felony, a third degree felony if a teacher brings in an unapproved book into the school. We have a memo, a note of that, and we have a translation or interpretation of that law from the Department of Education, which provides the same detail and the same penalty. Also, for the colleges that you teach at, sir, I am well aware of the colleges that you teach at. Both of those institutions, they do have an approval process, and it is ran by the local Board of Trustees, not the government. So you just provided an example that's contrary to the example of Florida. No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, you know, yes, it is. You know, we only have, being that we only have one minute left, I also want to make sure that I get this point in. A lot of things that are under the CRT banner has nothing to do with Black history, like queer theory. Uh, uh, so uh, critical race theory is not taught. All these it's not taught in K through twelve because you're triggered. Because it's not about truth, right? Sir, That's in critical a race theory, dear brother. Let's truly focus on All right. black I, history. I want to make sure you understand something. Critical race theory is not taught in K through 12 education. Florida did not ban critical race theory. That's what they I, said. I, 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 I wish brother. we had more time because I could go through the list here. We'll definitely bring you back to do that. that I'm going to say this for history. That's, that's fine, going brother. under the banner of CRT. Okay, brother. We need to be open and honest and pushing a black history, a true black history agenda. I'm gonna respond to that professor because obviously you're miseducated. Critical race theory was oh. not banned in the state of Florida. If you look at the Florida statute. Elements of it, so I'm the elements finish. that I outlined. I'm going the to elements finish, sir. That I outlined. I'm going to finish, sir. Critical race theory was not banned under the statute in Florida. They simply sold it as a critical race theory bill. The terminology critical race theory is not found in the statutory language that bans Let's critical keep, race theory. I appreciate you being on the show, sir. Have a good day. History separate uh, and apart yeah. from all that other stuff. Okay, I appreciate Let's you being on the show, sir. I don't think you even read the bill. I don't think you read the bill. I think you came unprepared to debate it thoughtfully, but I appreciate you being on the show, Professor. Thank you. I didn't know the number of the bill, I knew the name of the sir, bill. Sir, you didn't even know the context of the bill, but I appreciate you yes, being on the show. I did. Have a good day, sir. Your viewers, go to Twitter, go online, learn about what's actually being banned. Okay, and what's sir, actually being banned. You could not articulate not anything else. Y'all, you're going to have to cut this clown off. Thank you. Have a good day, sir. All right. Okay, for those, make sure you remember take care of yourself. Take care of each other, take care of the planet. The truth is always indisputable.